Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Freshfield's Asia Essential Antitrust podcast series. In this series, we speak with local experts across the region to bring you the latest competition law trends and updates. My name's Alistair Mordant and I'm the co-head of the Freshfield's Antitrust Practice in Asia. This is the fourth episode of our series and today I'm delighted to welcome Samir Gandhi and Hamangani Dadwal from AZB and Partners in India. AZB has one of India's most respected competition practices, handling both merger control and contentious matters across the country. Samir is a senior partner and head of the firm's competition practice and is based in Delhi. He deals with a broad range of competition law and policy issues covering both merger control and antitrust investigations, as well as international trade and WTO matters. Great to have you with us, Samir. Likewise, Alistair. Pleasure to be on. Himangani is a partner and is based in Bangalore. She also advises on a broad range of competition issues and has represented clients in many merger control and antitrust cases before the Competition Commission of India and the courts. Thanks for joining us today, Hamangani. Thanks for having me here, Alistair. Delighted to be here. So in today's discussion, we're going to look at India's competition regime, some of the latest developments and trends, and what it means for our clients doing deals with an Indian connection. And Samir, Hamangani, some of our listeners may not be over-familiar with India's competition regime, so I thought we might kick off with a, a bit of an overview of the regime. Absolutely, Alistair. I think it's fair to say that the Indian competition regime is is uh, somewhat in its early days. We are often called the baby of the uh, of the bunch. We've only had the law in force since two thousand and nine, and the law is largely modelled on what you find in you know other parts of the world, including, for example, in Europe. It is based on you know an effects analysis. It's it's a law which is enforced by a three member competition commission. Investigations are conducted by a director general who creates you know, a fact-finding report and the commission finally sits and adjudicates on whether the facts merit an infringement finding or not. So that's on the antitrust side. It's typically, as in other jurisdictions, focused on looking at anti-competitive agreements such as cartels and vertical restraints, but also on unilateral conduct of what we call abuse of dominance. Not surprisingly, we have a mandatory and suspensory merger control regime as well. And this requires all transactions over a prescribed turnover and asset threshold to be notified to the Competition Commission. Now, there are a series of exemptions from notification, but it's, it's safe to say that these, you know, if you don't meet the broad contours of what these exemptions constitute, you're better served by, by filing before the CCI. The CCI tends to be a bit conservative about ensuring that you, you wait for the suspensory period to expire before actually consummating that transaction. But more about that later. Okay, no, that's great. And, and just to get a feel for sort of the activity levels, you know, roughly how many, say, merger decisions or antitrust decisions would the authority be issuing in, a, in, in an average year? So, uh, uh, Alistair, the CCI is, you know, by and large, a pretty active regulator and even prides itself on being one. Merger control, for example, you know, over the last financial year, it uh, approved about 81 transactions approximately, which is, you know, significantly up from when it started back in the day in 2011, where I think it was about 40 to 50 in number. 
as Samir mentioned, it's, uh, you know, the merger control regime in India is a suspensory one. So it also looks at, you know, gun jumping uh, conduct pretty closely and, and has also issued some decisions which have sort of penalized parties for implementing a transaction before, you know, receipt of CCI approval. On the antitrust front also, the CCI is is pretty active. You know, cartel is, seems to be an area of priority for the CCI. About 75% of its decisions uh, are usually cartel-related. Actually, and, you know, abuse of dominance is also, you know, especially when it comes to the tech sector, the CCI started to look at it. But I think, you know, in terms of, say, numbers, you know, about there have been about 16 cases involving abuse of dominance, you know, cases where fines have been imposed. And just yesterday, you know, the CCI uh, came out with a decision where it imposed uh, a significant penalty. Um, that's about 2 billion INR rupees, approximately 27 million USD on a car manufacturer for a vertical restraint or uh, resale price maintenance. So, you know, all in all, pretty active. And as, as recently as of yesterday, we have an interesting decision from the CCI. Yeah, no, that's interesting on the vertical restraints. There are just thinking of other Asian jurisdictions. There was a, a series of RPM infringement decisions a few years ago in in China, also in the, the, the auto sector. So it's obviously a, a popular one for, for competition regulators when looking at sort of resale price maintenance type concerns. And I suppose just sticking with sort of trends, if we focus, first of all, on, on antitrust enforcement, what would you say the sort of the big themes are currently? So it, I mean, as Himangni mentioned, Alistair, I think it's it's been incredibly busy despite the slight slowdown, I'd say, over the last year and a half on account of uh, the pandemic. But I feel that if anything, the CCI's kind of priorities in some sense have been uh, sharpened or more focused because they've taken fewer cases, arguably, but I think they've they focused on on a few areas and. I think that becomes apparent when you look at the, the kinds of sectors in which uh, the CCI has initiated uh, formal investigations. They've, uh, there are other market studies which are going on, and we'll come to that in a bit. But I'd say that if you were to look at from you know, a bird's eye view of the kinds of investigations that and the issues that the CCI has been looking into, I think the prevailing sense is that you know, the tech sector, for, for, for better or for worse, is certainly something that the CCI is going to focus its attention on quite closely. I think internet penetration being what it was, it has you know, dramatically risen over the last couple of years here in India. And we've seen the outcome of that. And you know, pandemic-related restrictions have meant that uh, e-commerce has become the order of the day. So not surprisingly, we, we see uh, issues that you know, are similar to issues taken up elsewhere in the world, an investigation into the e-commerce majors, Amazon and its large Indian competitor owned by Walmart, uh, namely Flipkart. And the issues there centrally were the same, right? Which is self-preferencing, using these platforms to kind of self-preference. And also, I would imagine a slightly unique kind of concern that, that, that these platforms are using their deep pockets, not often driven by profit motives and, and are using you know, their substantial market power to be able to gather get a greater market share. Whether this translates into actual consumer harm and higher prices, I guess that's the, the billion dollar question, but uh, time will tell because this is an investigation which is very much in, in, in the works, as it were. I guess the other you know, interesting developments in this sector would, I would say, would be uh, the WhatsApp investigation, which, which is, involves questions of really the use of data. You know, does the use of data, is, can data be used as an instrument of foreclosure? 
how important is data portability and related to that i mean if if uh, whatsapp for example in its terms of service uses your data to you know for for in areas in which you haven't necessarily consented to uh, and and adopts what they cci calls a take it or leave it attitude to its uh, privacy policy does that amount to a competition harm so i think uh, very much uh, something that the cci has not had an occasion in the past to look at but is has seized its opportunity now with the whatsapp case and uh, maybe finally uh, it's no surprise but i think the themes of self preferencing kind of make their way into you know the various google investigations uh, whether it's on the android platform for uh, mobile handsets or for the android platform for the televisions google has a pretty uh, compelling online payment mechanism in india called google pay and its android platform also has a play store so these are all uh, issues that the cci is looking into to see whether there is you know market power and indeed whether that is being abused plenty of questions about theories of harm etc alistair but i'd say it's uh, the one thing that certainly emerges is that the cci is quite keen to intervene now and intervene quickly uh, because there there is this fear of of markets tipping irretrievably and therefore intervention being the order of the day and um, a rarely used power where the cci actually intervenes and issues an interim order or an interim stay in some sense was was actually used in a technology case involving online travel aggregators so again a sense of urgency is is underlines or underlies uh, the focus on the tech sector on the antitrust side and some of the themes you just mentioned Samir sort of resonate with i think cases elsewhere around the world including in Europe is this a case of another competition authority effectively piggybacking on, on on those cases or are these you know entirely separate and, and and likely to have been picked up by the by the regulator in any event i think more of the former alistair you're you're spot on which is we we tend to use the term copycat so there are a, a number of these investigations which basically are almost entirely lifted from proceedings involving either those parties or those issues in other jurisdictions so uh i think it's totally fair to say that india has or the indian authority has is it's a certainly low hanging fruit for them to pick up on investigations which are elsewhere and this is not uh, entirely limited to the tech sector it also extends to for example cartel busting a number of our cartel investigations that himangni mentioned earlier are essentially global cartels where as part of a leniency process elsewhere in the world you know india came up on the map and and the same parties have have come to the indian regulator and complained or have uh, admitted to the same conduct so i definitely say that we are we're riding on 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 a trend over here a global one where india is uh, no exception and um, so I, i think it's it's what you see elsewhere is what you can expect to to come up in india as well and and you mentioned market studies it, it, are they another tool that the the commission would will use to 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 effectively identify potential future antitrust cases so it's interesting because unlike other authorities and i think you know for example the uk i mean can proceed on the basis of a market study i think the market studies in india conducted by the cci are very much to inform the indian agency about you know conduct in the market 
we've seen a few of these market studies such as the market study in the e-commerce sector and in the uh, restaurants uh, or food delivery sector leading to a subsequent investigation which has prompted some to suggest that the market studies are a precursor to formal investigations that's not strictly speaking how the law operates and i think the agency to be fair to it makes it quite clear each time it conducts these market studies to suggest that look this is our effort at understanding these uh, markets so that should an investigation commence we are be- you know we are better positioned to make an informed decision so i'd say uh, there's a bit of a slip between what's actually happening and 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 what the law suggests but it's true that we have seen a few cases where market studies have been followed pretty quickly by you know formal investigations but those investigations have been based on complaints right so it's it's the cci has had to deal with those complaints it's not as if uh, it was starting those investigations of its own accord just one other question so I wanted to ask you particularly on tech there's obviously quite a lot of discussion pretty much around the world at the moment as to whether existing laws mainly competition but not exclusively are fit for purpose and able to address possible i guess market concerns in the tech sector so sort of you know people are talking about should there be a, a, a you know new set of digital laws is that a debate that's currently around in india at the moment as well absolutely absolutely i think no better place to look the decently concluded i say recent but it was a year and a half ago the competition law review committee of which i was part which ultimately made its recommendations on a proposed amendment to the uh, in to to, the, to india's competition laws looked into the central issue about whether existing tools available under the competition act were adequate to address you know new age concerns arising out of new age markets so uh, absolutely alistair i think it's it's a question that the cci has asked of itself i think for the most the act is is pretty expansive and allows the cci to adopt approaches which are well suited for new age economies or new age markets uh, but I, i think the cci has found the need to to review mergers which may not necessarily meet the the pretty generous asset and turnover threshold so is is thinking of a transaction size threshold much like i think the germans and the austrians have uh, adopted so i think that is with a specific view at looking at these so called uh, killer acquisitions so i think uh, it's it's a debate which is alive and and kicking um if you pardon the pun but i think it's it's certainly watch this space because that law hasn't really the amendment to the law hasn't seen light of day as yet uh, but it it it's on the angle yeah okay and and hemangini let me bring you in here because you you mentioned possibly sort of leaving aside tech you mentioned that the focus is very heavily on cartels uh, enforcement on the antitrust side and i just wanted to ask you about leniency is that the main driver for for the commission's investigations or is it actually picking up cartel cases which are usually inherently difficult to to uncover uh, is it picking them up outside of leniency as well So I'd say Alisa that I think there's a there's a healthy mix of the two. I think the leniency regime in India has really picked up I think over the course of the last 4 or 5 years. It certainly took time for uh, it to start really coming into its own. But equally I think the the CCI also acts on complaints. So 
you know, the discovery of cartels, of course, is a challenge, but we do have a lot of, you know, complaints coming in. And I don't know whether this is peculiar only to the Indian regime, but, uh, you know, a complaint can be filed with the CCI or CCI can take cognizance of any information that is filed by absolutely anyone that doesn't need, there's no issue of locus standi as it were. So, you know, you've had a sort of bid rigging has really been a big theme for cartel conduct in India, uh, especially when it comes to sort of local uh, procurement. Uh, and I think, you know, the initial cartel cases, almost all of them were, were around this whole bid rigging conduct and, you know, be it from real railroad uh, equipment. Uh, of course, you have auto parts, which are predominantly, of course, leniency application driven. And I think, you know, right in 2011, uh, the CCI sort of really tried to put the message out there that it was serious about regulating anti-competitive conduct when it issued fines of 60 billion INR across uh, 11 cement manufacturers. So, uh, and it's, uh, you know, the, 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 the way the CCI's investigative arm works is that they have really extensive powers so, to collect evidence. So, you know, email dumps are, are often sought. And, you know, the CCI, dawn raids are, of course, uh, something that the CCI has also started, you know, using its power more and more. So we, we know about three or four cases where dawn raids have been conducted in, in such uh, cartel cases as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's really how the cartel regime has been sort of functioning. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned bid rigging. That's certainly a, I think, quite a recurring theme across a number of Asian jurisdictions, actually been quite a focus of some of the Hong Kong Competition Commission's first investigations under its own regime, and certainly a lot of emphasis put by the, the regulator about the importance of, of not rigging bids. But, but you, you mentioned a, a number of different features of, I, I guess, the, the way that an investigation can start and the tools the commission has. These cases typically take ages um, across many jurisdictions. Is, is, is India similar or is it managed to to work a way of, of carrying out these these investigations in a slightly more timely fashion? No, unfortunately, uh, you know, we aren't an exception to, to the amount of time it takes for, uh, you know, at least behavioral cases to, to come to any sort of conclusion. Just a little bit of, uh, you know, detail on, on how uh, the process works. So like I mentioned, anybody can file a complaint with the CCI. The CCI has the uh, ability to, uh, you know, look at the information before it and see whether it wants to initiate an investigation uh, or close the inquiry. Uh, if it decides to initiate an investigation, uh, then the DG's office, the Director General's office comes in. That's when they have all of the powers to summon evidence, depositions, third-party information, uh, culminating in an investigation report, uh, which is submitted to the CCI. CCI will then uh, sort of review the report, see if there's anything missing, wants the DG to go back and, and you know, beef up its report in any which way. Or if it's satisfied, we'll sort of issue the report to parties, invite comments, there'll be final arguments, and then in a final order. Uh, in terms of just timelines, uh, you know, so there isn't uh, any sort of statutory timeline which the CCI is bound by. So it has a lot of flexibility, you know, depending on, on the kind of allegations, the sector, you know, even administrative issues in terms of change of guard, either at the director general's office or at the CCI. And invest a final from start to finish, it could be anywhere between, I'd say, a minimum of two years to about, you know, five, six years. 
so so yes it's a pretty long drawn out process and then of course it's you know the process sort of goes on in the appellate stage so we have an appellate tribunal uh, which also it's a no, now it's a non uh, non specialization sort of uh, tribunal um which is different from what it started off with appellate because there are cases of even sort of you know under the finance act that and the companies act that the appellate tribunal looks at uh you know timelines are further extended and then from the appellate tribunal it goes to a generalist supreme court um so you know uh, what this basically means is that we've had maybe a handful of decisions not more than about 5 or 6 which have finally concluded that we have a final decision that's uh, been decided by the supreme court so yes uh, a very long drawn out process indeed okay um well look so switching gears why wh- why don't we talk about merger control um you mentioned that the the commission's looking at sort of you know around about 80 cases a year now um so p- pretty active what are the main developments and sort of trends you're seeing on the on the merger control side so uh happy to take this one samir but do do come in you know the merger control has you know just to give you a sense uh, as it's been more than about a decade of merger control in india um i'd say you know unlike sort of antitrust the cci is looking to you know constantly uh, make improvements to its merger control regime very much consistent with the the government's mandate of easing business in india as it were i think one of the challenges that continue to sort of affect merger control is is perhaps the lack of certainty in in the way you know the cci will look at certain cases but equally conscious that it's a matter of you know enforcement priority so for example like some you mentioned sometime back that uh, you know cci is looking at tech uh, mergers a lot more closely than it perhaps was you know even uh, three or four years ago there's an interesting case uh, you know in in some you mentioned um, that there's an investigation into an online aggregator make my trip where the cci in in i think about four years ago uh, looked at exactly the same uh, entities um market position cleared a merger within you know 30 days when it it sort to acquire another entity and and actually said that you know offline uh, modes uh, have you know play uh, have have a good competitive uh, restraints on uh, make my trip and online aggregators which has now changed because in its investigation that it's directed into make my trip they've they've said that you know we're conscious that we passed this decision 2 years ago on the on the merger control front but uh you know things have changed and and so we're going to look at this a little more closely so i think uh the, there are a few changes that have happened you know um uh, in terms of just uh, or rather the enforcement priorities of the cci sort of come into merger control as well and and they are looking at certain sectors more closely than they were earlier but sumi do do you know let me know if you if you'd like to add something no i mean exactly correct right which is uh but i mean again to give uh, the the cci the, the the benefit of i think every regulator has had to uh, rethink its approach to to the digital economy i mean four years ago you know just given how rapidly this the internet market has has grown in india i mean literally every year we've seen an exponential increase in in numbers of people going online i don't think it's entirely unfair for the cci to to move with market reality in fact that's probably what we'd expected to do i think the the quandary that that places us in is really that what does that do to certainty and given that merger control is very much a, a high transaction value cost i mean in terms of every day of delay or in in approving a transaction can result in 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 a in a significantly higher cost to transacting parties uh, i think that 
you know the CCI has been called on to to make its rules slightly more certain. So I think the the friction between the changing market reality and the need for speed and approving mergers is uh, is is probably what the CCI is is undergoing right now. I I dare say it's something that other competition authorities are grappling with as well. But but hopefully with with time and practice, I I see this improving. And Samir, what's the sort of the, the, the or, or Hemangini, what's the, the sort of timing for a sort of standard review? How long is it taking these days? I don't think that, I, you know, one would have expected COVID to have slowed things down. And again, all due credit to the CCI where, you know, they've managed to, to really do their best in clearing transactions uh, without there being, you know, a, a real significant delay in holding up transactions. So, so the CCI has about 30 working days to clear sort of most transactions that come before it, unless they feel like this is going to have an immediate impact on competition and they'd want to sort of push it out to phase two. As phase one clearance would take 30 working days that's about eight to ten weeks in terms of you know if you account for requests for information responses public holidays and so on and so forth so uh, and I think you know by and large it, it's I, I'd say that eight to ten weeks is is pretty reasonable unless you're looking at a highly sort of concentrated market or a very sensitive sector you know in which case uh, where you at the possibility of it being pushed out of phase two you know is, is more certain and that of course takes us to about 210 odd days. That's the statutory kind of outer limit for how long an investigation uh, or proceeding in a merger control matter can run in India. Mm-hmm. And, and just to sort of give folks a sort of feel for sort of enforcement levels, what, what, what are we talking about in terms of, you know, number of cases which have resulted in a, you know, some sort of action by the regulator? So, um, some statistics, uh, 750 filings since the merger control regime has been enforced in 2011 of June, if I'm not mistaken. Of these, there have been about 40, you know, modifications. They're basically sort of remedies. And these include voluntary commitments that are offered by parties just to have their transactions cleared in, in phase one. Of all of these, you know, 40 remedy cases, uh, 12 published cases have involved phase two remedies, an overwhelming majority of which have resulted in divestitures uh, to address horizontal overlaps. One of these also involved behavioral remedies. That was the the famous uh, Bayer Monsanto case. And one was exclusively on behavioral remedies, which was uh, Schneider L&T, and received a lot of uh, attention only because it was probably the first uh, phase two remedy decision where the CCI was satisfied with uh, just behavioral uh, remedies as opposed to structural one. In terms of areas of focus for the commission. I understand India's got a sort of control-based test when looking at transactions and that's always quite tricky to advise clients because of course some jurisdictions will have a different control test. If I take the European Union for example it's sort of based on you know the ability to exercise decisive influence which in practice means you know, even if you've got a minority investment, the ability to, to veto strategic decisions of the business, whether it's, you know, approving the budget or the business plan or appointment of senior management. Is, is, is there a, a similar type of control concept uh, under the regime in India? Indeed, Alistair. I think, let me, let me answer that question in two parts, right? The first of which being that I'd say for the first eight years of merger control enforcement in India, we we borrowed liberally from practice in other jurisdictions like uh, Europe. 
the standard that we uh, consistently applied was very much one of decisive influence. And, and many of the items that you just indicated, if there was a veto right over there, business plan and uh, key employees, so on and so forth, this would imply an acquisition of, of control. I, I think what's happened there, and again, this is either to be taken as an agency who is learning by doing, in other words, uh, realizing that there are some which are getting out of uh, the purview of notifiability only because the standard of control is what it is. Or else it's it's also, you know, looking around and looking at other jurisdictions, which tend to, on occasion at least, look at the somewhat lesser standard of material influence. So I think what we have seen of in the in the recent past is is a slight watering down, if I can call it that, in the overall standard of, of control, moving on occasion away from you know, the, the well-accepted decisive influence test to material influence. I think we can expect that to continue to be a trend. I think this was one of the CCI's asks uh, while discussing proposed amendments to the Act as well. And the takeaway from that is that our entire minority exemption architecture, because of course India allows for certain non-controlling minority acquisitions to be exempt, uh, provided that they are less than 25% lead, don't lead to the acquisition of control uh, and are made in, you know, in the ordinary course of business. Uh, this exemption has has really become increasingly tenuous. The, the, the often repeated joke is that control is is now is a, is a little bit like the concept of, of dharma, right? You, you you know it when you feel it, or something of that nature. So it's I, I'd say that uh, you know global audiences and ones filing parties in India alike are 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 probably well served in being conservative in terms of how wide they want to interpret you know the minority exemption and. Assume that the regulator is going to look at whatever rights that they have as being akin to control and, and, and make a subjective determination. And from a substantive perspective, there's been a, a sort of at least a debate amongst academic circles about common minority interests. So where, you know, one company then owns a minority interest in, in competing businesses. And I understand actually that's, that's picked up some traction with the commission Maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about that. You're absolutely right, Alistair. So, you know, in in what was uh, a seemingly controversial decision, or at least a much debated one, uh, the CCI recently, well, not so recently, about more than six months now, issued an approval decision uh, on the condition that the investor, which was in this case Chris Capital, a minority investment, and we're looking at a 3%, so it already had a 3% interest in this pharmaceutical company Intas, and it was looking to acquire another 3%, so a total of 6% interest, would be approved uh, only if Chris Capital would divest its uh, directors, and we're only talking about a single director on the boards of other portfolio companies uh, in the same business. So the CCI has sort of taken a pretty uh, strict view of when common minority investments could perhaps, you know, alter market conditions, um, you know, significantly. And this is somewhat a, a, a departure from what it, uh, you know, when it did look at such common investments in the past, where I think the CCI has, you know, thus far been quite all right in approving transactions as long as it was satisfied with the kind of uh, sort of firewalls that were in place by parties. So I think, you know, the Chris Capital decision has has certainly led to some sort of debate. I think uh, funds 
uh, are certainly looking at, at things more closely, um, seeing you know what kind of investments they have in that particular sector, uh, and uh, at least looking towards sort of if not uh, looking more closely at the set of rights they're going to negotiate, lest uh, you know this become a, a, a sort of holding point during the CCI review. Gosh, I mean that's that that's fascinating and something in particular I imagine for financial sponsored clients to to keep an eye on particularly where you know they may have a range of of investments you know uh, which are minority ones but potentially in you know in, in similar or related markets look I, i'm conscious we, we this has been a fascinating discussion and probably uh, about time we we seek to wrap this up but i just wanted to ask you a sort of final question which is that sort of if you had two key tips uh, for merging parties who need to notify their transaction in India, uh, what, what would they be? Absolutely, Alistair. I think I think it's fair to say that merger control in India is well. How how would you put it? I mean, to borrow liberally, same same but different, right? Which is, uh, it's it's it works on similar principles, but uh, it has a a distinct flavor of its own. So I think local enforcement and trends being what they are. Uh, probably best served or well served engaging quickly with, with council or antitrust council to, to discuss issues of notifiability of what you'd consider as being an innocuous minority acquisition elsewhere or a non-notifiable transaction elsewhere might indeed require notification in India. And the number of times we've, we've ended up having to you know defend positions rather than and inform them is, as I would put down to perhaps, uh, you know, a somewhat later acknowledgement that things in India work slightly differently. So I think engaging antitrust counsel quickly and early is important, you know, in terms of merger control. Uh, it's it's not the, the usual process uh, which runs in uh, a multi-jurisdictional kind of filing where, uh, you know, it's kind of a tick the box. And that's also takes me to the second point, which is that because uh, the Indian regulator has its own nuances, uh, not always bound by precedent, quite conservative when interpreting exemptions. The tendency is to walk in and discuss your filing with the CCI, uh, you know, even in advance of formally notifying it. And I think that's that's the right approach. Make them part of the conversation would be something I, I would advocate strongly. And yet be prepared for uh, all of the above, which is a conservative interpretation. And uh, that invariably leads parties to a somewhat precarious uh, position where they need to make a call on whether uh, instead of debating notifiability, they, they focus instead on getting the filing right, putting it in and getting a quick clearance, right? So this is always the discussion that we have with parties, uh, some of whom simply don't have the, the latitude of time or the appetite to make a filing in India. And, and I think there's this push and pull which goes around the edges of whether a transaction is notifiable. Uh, but I think that there is some wisdom and I think there's an increasing sense, which is that Perhaps some of the time that we spend on debating notifiability is is better served by looking for an accelerated approval and indeed the uh, introduction of a green channel mechanism, uh, which I understand the regulator is in the process of thinking of actually widening for non-problematic mergers which are notifiable but create no conceivable competition law issues, what we call fast track approval in, in other jurisdictions. I think that is something that I, I have increasingly taken to urging uh, clients to utilize in, in, in when making filings or considering making filings in India. 
Well, that's a very positive point on which I think to, to end this, this discussion, which has been absolutely fascinating. Really appreciate both of you taking the time to share your, your expertise with us. I think it's fair to say that India is not only a really important competition jurisdiction in Asia, but, but, but actually globally. And so I, I'm sure our listeners have found it extremely helpful to, to, to listen to your experiences and, and the recent developments and trends. So I hope everyone's found the podcast useful. Uh, we'll be planning another Asia Essential Antitrust update for you soon. And in the meantime, please do visit our Antitrust in Asia resource section on the freshfields.com website or contact us directly. Many thanks to Samir and Hemangani and many thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.